0: <laughs>
1: this is the sound of fry bread cooking in hot oil. Pauli Sulia and his friends mix flour, yeast, and water. They wait for the dough to rise and pat small handfuls of it into pancakes that are dropped into the hot cast-iron pot. I think a lot of people think it's a cultural food, but ultimately it's a food that like was created out of necessity. Sulia is a member of the Sisitan wapitan Oyate, a tribal nation headquartered in South Dakota. And he's a sophomore at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities campus, where he and a group of Native American students are cooking together. He says the history of fry bread is one of survival. When people were taken off of the land and forced to go on reservations and then given this, these awful government rations, they were just given things like flour and lard, so they had to make do with it. But for students at the University of Minnesota, making fry bread and eating it together is an act of reclaiming the past and of community building. One Friday each month, the American Indian Student Cultural Center at the Twin Cities campus hosts Fry Bread Friday. I think taking that like, food of oppression and hurt and turning it into something that can bring the community together is a, is a powerful thing. From APM Reports, this is Educate, I'm Stephen Smith. Events like the Fry Bread Friday are one of the many ways Native students at the University of Minnesota can connect, and perhaps one of the many reasons the University of Minnesota has been able to retain and graduate more Native students each year.
2: Native American students graduated in 2008 at the university at a rate of just 27 percent, but by 2018, that number had increased to 69 percent.
1: That's Caroline Preston. She's a senior editor at The Heckinger Report.
2: Nationally, the six-year graduation rates for American Indian and Alaska Native students are just 39 percent.
1: The six-year graduation rate for all students enrolled at public universities in 2018 was just about 47 percent.
2: So students at University of Minnesota Twin Cities are doing significantly better than the national average.
1: Preston has reported on the gains at the University of Minnesota and on Native students nationally. Native students are among the least likely of any demographic group to enroll in college. Though less than 1% of students at the University of Minnesota are American Indian or Alaska Native, the number has grown during the last decade. So what's going on at the University of Minnesota? What has changed there for their graduation rates to be going up?
2: So there's not a single answer But the university, for a while, has had a lot of academic and social supports in place to make these students feel more welcome on campus. They have an American Indian Studies department that's the oldest in the nation, actually. But a number of students I talked to said that that was really key in both bringing them to the university, but also making them feel like their voice was important on campus. There are centers, there's a student cultural organization for Native American students that's quite active. There is a circle of indigenous nations, which is a academic um, and social support office where students get tutoring and there are ceremonies and things that happen. And people I spoke with said that having an office specific to these students is the kind of thing that can be Really important. Also, the university just generally is getting has in that time from sort of 2008 to today become more selective. So students overall may be coming in more prepared and more able to to handle the work as well.
1: Minneapolis St. Paul has one of the largest urban Indian populations in the country. We also, in Minnesota and um, the Dakotas, and of course across the country, there are uh, reservations that people come from. Does that play into the uh, enrollment rate at the University of Minnesota at all?
2: I met students who were from Native American students who were from out of state as well as those who were from the St. Paul, Minneapolis area, as well as people who were from reservations within the state. Um, And I should say, too, the enrollment numbers are going up, but it's not like they're skyrocketing. So, um, you know, those have been increasing slowly, but we've seen this, this more significant increase in graduation rates.
1: Caroline Preston says the strained relationship and history between the U.S. government and Native Americans has affected the relationship Native students have to the university system.
2: Someone I spoke to used the term um, ghosts of colonialism. We may think that these things happened 500 years ago, but it's very much still present for a lot of students on campuses, which, you know, obviously a lot of these campuses were founded, um, you know, created from land that was stolen from Native people, and that's true for the University of Minnesota Twin Cities as well, which was founded on Dakota land. And another university... University of Minnesota, Morris, was a former boarding school. So, yes, it can be very difficult for students to come to these campuses that are sort of institutions, um, you know, designed around Western notions of higher education and around colonialism, um, and again, are, we're not set up for them and to sort of thrive there. So some universities, for example, Morris, the institution that used to be a boarding school, makes tuition free for students who are American Indian and Alaska Native. But most universities obviously have not taken that step.
1: What did you hear from Native students about what it's actually like to be at the University of Minnesota I remember that you uh, spoke to some students who were um, either assigned or chose to be on a, in a dorm area that was supposed to be uniquely for uh, Native people. How, how did that work out?
2: Students I talked to, many of them were surprised by how white the campus was. And the student I talked to, who you're referring to, had come from Arizona. He grew up in Yuma, Arizona near a reservation. His father worked on the reservation, and he'd been attracted to University of Minnesota Twin Cities because of its really good economics program and also because of um, Minneapolis's history of indigenous activism and the American Indian Studies Department at the Twin Cities University. And he signed up for this... residential hall that was sort of deemed um, a learning, living community for um, indigenous students, but most of the students were white. And he, like many other students I talked to, had to deal with a lot of ignorance on the part of other students, insensitive questions, sort of having to be someone who speaks for your entire culture. And, um, you know, it, it can be very frustrating and alienating. And he thought about, during his freshman year, transferring somewhere home to Arizona before eventually finding ways to, to get more comfortable on campus.
1: Did you talk to anybody about what it's been like for them if they attended, say, a tribal college, a college on a reservation?
2: The students I talked to didn't really consider t- attending tribal colleges. It, um, so I didn't really meet with anyone who'd kind of made that debate Um, internally. But um, certainly tribal colleges are an option for for Native students. I think about 10 or 11 percent of Native students attend those. And, you know, some people attend for a couple years and then transfer. But a lot of the students I talked to wanted to get away from their reservation and then bring those skills back to the reservation. Or for people who were you know, grew up in a more urban experience, Um, it was not something that they'd considered.
1: What about other colleges in the country? Are there any other places that have uh, the same sort of level of Native American attendance? And and how are they doing?
2: There definitely are universities with um, higher levels of of Native attendance. Um, It's still at the University of Minnesota, um, about l- less than 1% of the students are American Indian or Alaska Native, and then for students who identify as American Indian or Alaska Native or another or, and another group, rather, it's still just about 1.3%. So they're definitely schools with, with higher populations of these students. Um, by and large, universities have a lot of struggles in terms of um, serving these students because they're such a small population universities haven't really been sort of pressed in the same way um, as they have with some other racial groups to make them a part of conversations around inclusion. And that was something that the president of the University of Minnesota system said that she'd like to see happen, that Native American students should be part of the larger conversation around inclusion that's happening, albeit imperfectly, within higher education more broadly. And For example, the University of Minnesota has the Circle of Indigenous Nations office where students come in, get tutoring, and there are ceremonies and things like that that happen. Um, One survey found that just 141 universities in the U.S. and Canada had something similar, some space that was just for indigenous students to get that kind of support. So in that way, um, University of Minnesota Twin Cities is doing a lot more than some places, Although students I talked to said they there was still a lot of progress that could be made. For example, that that office has just one full-time staff member and, and people felt like they there there should be there should be more support.
1: Zooming out, why has college completion on the national level been so slow to improve for Native American students?
2: I think it's a variety of factors. They come from they tend to come from lower performing high schools that may not be preparing them academically. They face more financial challenges than typical white students. And then colleges have not been very good about making them feel welcome on campus and helping to overcome some of the the stereotyping and racism that they are likely to face.
3: So it's important to note that the students say the U still has a long way to go.
1: Reham Fashir is a senior reporter at Minnesota Public Radio. She collaborated with Carolyn Preston and the Heckinger Report to look closely at Native students' experiences on the University of Minnesota campus for NPR News.
3: The university is obviously glad to have this positive thing highlighted, uh, but during our course of uh, the course of our reporting, we didn't hear anything that would indicate that someone from the administration. Sat down with a with a plan to raise graduation rates for Native American students. You know, it's more like there are a lot of these resources for the students that are kind of led by different departments and and staff who work directly with the students and understand their struggles.
1: And they involve elders in that, don't they?
3: They do. They have something called an Elders in Residence program and. Um, it's an opportunity for students to connect with Native American elders and connect with their Native American heritage and culture. It happens at the Circle of Indigenous Nations. And, uh, you know, they first piloted this program last year. Then they saw so much demand for it. The students were craving these kinds of interactions. So they decided to bring it back this year. And, you know... The office invites an elder every Friday, they visit with the students, they chat about culture, tradition, sometimes they practice speaking their Ojibwe, and sometimes the elders would lead ceremonies with culturally significant objects, objects like eagle feathers and tobacco and drums and songs.
1: You talked with a fellow named Tad Johnson, who acts as a liaison between the U and regional uh, tribal nations. What is his work like, and what did he tell you about how Native people in the Upper Midwest perceive the University of Minnesota?
3: So Tad Johnson actually works out of the Duluth campus most of the time, but he does um, oversee a lot of the programming system-wide. And, you know, he came to the U to help the U work with the tribes to figure out what they need to attract Indigenous students to the university. Um, In in his experience, the tribes want to send students to places where they can study tribal administration. You know, they, they need to go back home and fill the jobs on the reservations. So he's trying to... Get the UVM to collaborate more with the regional tribes and ask them what they want implemented, and then go to the U and figure out how they can make that happen. So, um, this is an interesting thing that that he told me. You know, he, he said the U needs to humble itself and be open to learning from indigenous people. He mentioned medicine, forest, wildlife, you know, as examples of study areas that the U can seek the tribes' knowledge in.
1: What did the students that you spoke to, the Native students, say about what it's like to actually go to the University of Minnesota, which is a large campus in, uh, you know, an urban metropolitan area? Some people are from the Twin Cities, but I imagine many come from uh, much smaller communities.
3: That's true. Um, And the word or the phrase to describe it is culture shock. Um, They, you know, especially for those who grew up in in Indian country, it's a different experience. It's a huge campus. They have big lecture halls. Um, and, And many of the students are sometimes the only American Indian students in their settings. So they have to answer questions about their culture and heritage um, and just speak for the entire community a lot of times. Um, some students still feel like they don't belong on campus.
1: Tell us about the student Dustin Morrow, who you interviewed at the university.
3: Dustin Morrow is 33 years old. He's a non-traditional student. He grew up on the La Couture Reservation in Wisconsin. He went to Hayward High School and then community college studying Ojibwe.
0: That's all I did was study Ojibwe, you know, um, eat, breathe, dream in Ojibwe, that kind of stuff.
3: Um, He graduated there back in 2014 as a valedictorian of his class. Then he started working for his tribe's vocational rehabilitation program. So his job was to help high school students transition from high school to college to the workforce or the military, whatever they wanted to do. And then one day he was scrolling Facebook when he came across an ad for the University of Minnesota's Ojibwe language program.
0: And it was um, a bunch of other students that were just, it seemed effortless. And I was like, oh, man, this is where I want to go. And I kind of toyed around with the idea of applying for two years because, you know, I grew up on the res, never really left, and um, it's actually kind of, like, daunting for someone to leave the res for the first time, especially coming from a very rural area into the city. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what drew me in. Just that commercial this really sold it for me. And then I applied, got accepted, and then my roommate was like, hey, I'm going too. So he applied, and now we're here three semesters later. He's
3: working really hard to preserve the language. Um, he says he, he doesn't want his generation to be complicit in anything that would contribute to the erasure of the language.
0: Oh, yeah. good. This is Dustin Morrow
3: and another student oh, I interviewed, yeah. having a uh, conversation in Ojibwe. Her name is Gabby
4: Farrell.
0: Uh-huh.
4: <laughs> My full name is Gabrielle, so a lot of people call me that. Otherwise, um, a lot of times, like for Ojibwe, like when we're speaking, people call me Gabby because there are no R's or L's in Ojibwe. So <laughs> we say Gabby. Gabby Farrell is a member of
3: the Cliff Band of Lake Superior Chippewa. She credits the Circle of Indigenous Nations, or
4: COIN, for keeping her at the University of Minnesota. Yeah, um, the beginning was like really hard for me, I think, because it was just like overwhelming. And I didn't realize how overwhelming it was until I like came into COIN. And it was like they were doing a ceremony here that morning. And like, so I came in to have to like participate in ceremony and I like could smell that like the sage and the smudge that they were burning and I just started crying because I didn't realize that I missed home so much I always say like I came to the U because like the programs like the academic programming is really good but I ended up staying because of the community because I don't think I would have I don't think I would have stayed if it hadn't been for the people I met here
3: You're tearing up right
4: now, too. Yeah, yep, I get really really emotional. She says when she goes home, you know, she kind of feels bad that she
3: has this opportunity that a lot of her Indigenous peers don't have. But when she's on campus, she still feels like this imposter syndrome that students feel.
4: Like, you come here, and, like, you don't fit in. You kind of, like, I'm, like, white passing. So, like, if I really, like, it's like I do, but it's like my heart doesn't. And so that hurts a lot, but then, like going back home now and everything like once you have once you're like in college and stuff it can be really difficult to adjust because people that might not like have the same opportunities as you especially like for me like having two parents that did go to college and like push me to go to college and everything like it 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 feels like different i guess and so
3: i I asked her if she felt a sense of guilt about this
4: yeah yep And even though it's like you're you're here trying to get a degree and like do well, like because of them, like you're trying to like take what you learn here and like bring it back home. It's like, like they view it almost as like you left them. And that's like the part that like hurts the most because it's like, I'm not trying, like I'm trying to help you. Like I'm here, I'm trying to help us. Like Dustin Morrow, Gabby Farrell
3: said she was at the University of Minnesota trying to preserve the Ojibwe language. I
4: believe my tribe has one speaker left, too. Um, My grandma knows, like, little bits and everything, but the last person that really, like, spoke was my great-grandma. Now she has her eyes on graduation. Yeah, um, so the goal is to graduate. (laughs) And then I also, so I like intern for the Great Lakes Indian Fishery and Wildlife Commission. And so that's kind of, that's where my heart is. Um, I, like, I work for the climate change program. Um, and so that's kind of what I want to do is specializing in traditional ecological knowledge because we, we do interviews and like stuff like that. And I'm trying to, I, like, I want to integrate more Ojibwe language into the interviews themselves. Um, and be able to use them not only as resources for, like, environmental issues, but also for our language. It's kind of the goal.
3: Gabby Farrell wants to take her Ojibwe language skills and her college degree back home, back to her tribe. So does Dustin Morrow. They want to share the language and encourage others to study it, too.
1: That's it for this episode. Tell us what you think. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Educate Podcast or send us a note to contact at apmreports.org. And you can find the reporting from Caroline Preston and Reham Fashir on the University of Minnesota's efforts to graduate more native students at heckingerreport.org. This episode was produced by Alex Baumhart and Sabi Robinson and edited by Chris Julin. It was mixed by John Miller. We partner with the Heckinger Report, a nonprofit independent news organization focused on inequality and innovation in education support for APM Reports comes from Lumina Foundation and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM.